guys, you're listening to this week's episode of Queers in Space. Oh my god, we're here, we're queer, we're in space, uh, so uh, get your juggernaut soup, get your, yes. your tang, your astronaut tang. ice cream, yeah, whatever, astronaut. Whoa. Did you hear on My Favorite Murder how they went to JPL? Yes. It was cool. It was cool. Yeah. I sort of dated, but not dated, this dude who used to work at JPL. Oh, yeah? Yeah. His name was... I won't say his name. But, um... Brian. He was... He was... He was all right. It never went anywhere, but whatever. Okay. Well, now he's a famous rocket scientist. No, he's still, like, like an assistant in that job. He still has the same job. This was, like, 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. There you go. And I remember once we went out to lunch, and one of his friends from JPL, like, came with us to lunch. Mm -hmm. And she hated me for some reason. Like, I said one thing that I don't remember that just irked her so much. Mm. She was in love with him. And she was, like, furious at mm. me. Like, could not wait to get out of the car. Oh, no. It was awkward. Oh, my ride's here. Um, I'll, I'll go downstairs. Man. Do you remember when Ubers used to tell you when they were coming to pick you up? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Shut up. Um, yeah, that's great. Oh, also on our new show where we recap episodes of another podcast. Yes. Um, they, they did a story on my favorite murder about the Van Nuys courthouse. They did, Uh which was so good. Yeah. It was the first one I made my boyfriend listen to. Excellent. And it was hilarious. Um, they, because I don't get to talk back to that podcast, Mm -hmm. um, that was the only time I've ever had to report for jury duty was at the Van Nuys courthouse. What? Mm Mm-hmm. And then, the next week, like just this last week, <gasps> Robert Blake. They did Robert Blake. Oh, it was the best. So good. <laughs> I love that because we as love we, celebrity crime. We do, as we talked about in our celebrity crime episode. One, Karen did a great job. Yeah. Uh, Karen Kilgariff of My Favorite Murder uh, did a great job retelling the story of Robert Blake and Bonnie Lee Blakely, and. Um, the as we talked about in our celebrity crime episode, uh, I have often thought about how how both or all three um, Nicole Brown Simpson ate at an Italian restaurant before she was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil Hartman's wife ate an, at an Italian restaurant mm-hmm. before um, she murdered him, and uh, then Robert Blake took Bonnie Lee out to an Italian restaurant Mm -hmm. before he killed her. It's weird. Don't go out for Italian food. Didn't we also say that Sharon Tate? You just said that. No, I didn't. Did did they... Didn't they have Italian food too? I thought they they went out for Italian food also. Oh, I didn't even recognize that they went out to dinner. Yeah, they went out to dinner before it all happened. Yeah. I mean, throw, shock it up there, dude. Right? Throw it on the fire. Put another shrimp on the body. <laughs> um, I didn't understand that turn of phrase for a long time when I was a kid. I thought it was just oh. a Barbie doll holding shrimp. Me too. Yeah. I was wondering the same. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the, that's what happens. When you we're from California. Up. Yeah, exactly. And even though my aunt and uncle were obsessed with Crocodile Dundee. I've seen that movie so many times. Right? So many times. Still, elude, it eluded us. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, I just, I said um again. I've been realizing so much how much I say um. This is a good test. 
Did you ever have to take a, as in the podcast is a good test to mm-hmm. see how many times you say um, did you ever have to take a speech class yes. where if uh, you said the word um or if you said any kind of vocal filler, someone would drop a marble in a in a cup? Ooh, awkward. No, yeah. that never happened, thank um, goodness. That was a thing. Um, this is not what uh, we're talking about today. Um, we were talking about... Robert Blake, real fast, and I had something yeah. that I wanted to say about Robert Blake. Was it about In Cold Blood? Was it about... Mm-hmm. It was about... Have we talked about the recent stuff about Natalie Wood? No, we haven't. Can we do a quick sidebar? A quick about sidebar that? celebrity crime. This is kind of already a side... This is not what we're going to be talking about today on the podcast, dear listeners, but I think uh, it's worth bringing up because we have some updates. For sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. In the last month, Robert Wagner has been named a person of interest in the reopened case of Natalie Wood's death. Dun, dun, dun! A murder most foul. A murder most foul. Mm -hmm. And I cannot wait to see the day that he hangs from the gallows. You think, so, okay, so this is um, contentious, but not particularly contentious. You think he definitely had something to do with it, if not yes. did it completely. Yes. I think he and Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. um, hey. better fucking um, um <laughs> I think he and Christopher Walken are responsible for her death. Okay. I don't want to get into the whole story. We don't need to get into the whole story. Story. We've definitely talked about it before, will it too? Yes. When we were talking about like our favorite celebrity. We just have this. There's just a very broad, ambiguous night mm-hmm. in which the only people that were around were Natalie Wood, who's dead, mm-hmm. Christopher Walken, Hi. R.J. Wagner, mm-hmm. and the captain of the boat. Yes. And no one really knows what happened. Mm-hmm. Except for the people that do. And me. <laughs> well, what was it? I just So I just watched um, that, what was it, 48 Hours, Dateline. Yes. I don't remember what special it was now, but I'm very excited to watch it. I think it was 48 Hours. Um, where they talked about reopening this case. Yeah. Where they talked about Robert Wagner being a person of interest now. And how kind of shady the whole ordeal was. Again, I won't get into it. But the captain of the boat, who was employed by Robert Wagner, it wasn't like his boat. He was a hired captain. He had a lot of guilt about this evening over the years, about what he did and didn't say to police Mm -hmm. over the years. Uh, uh, Evidently, uh, Lana Wood, Natalie's sister... Received a lot of phone calls from him at starting in the mid '90s about you know, him just calling her drunk in the middle of the night and talking about how he knew the truth of what happened, yeah, things like that. And so he was really sorry to have kept quiet all of these years because he, while he didn't see anything happen necessarily, he felt that he was coerced under the power of Robert Wagner, who was giving him a paycheck yep. to to say or not say things and I mean the only question that I have is how the fuck did she get in the water how did Natalie get in the water why would she have been in the water how did that happen dinghy's gone 
how did she, she hated water. How did this happen? Okay. Okay. I'm just going to lay out my theory real fast. I would love to hear it. Okay. Natalie Wood never got an Oscar. Mm -hmm. Her star was fading. Mm -hmm. Sadly, her star was fading. Right. Robert Wagner was never as famous as her. Never as famous as her. He could never foresee that he would be cast in Austin Powers 20 years later and like have a resurgence of his career as number two. Which, frankly, he is. He's a big number two. And Christopher Walken was on the come up. They were starring, they starred in Brain Freeze together, Brainstorm. And people say that he would do anything to come up in the industry. Christopher Walken or RJ? Christopher Walken. Mm -hmm. And that he flirted heavily with Natalie. On the set of Brainstorm. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Goddess. But that when the time came to it, he also flirted heavily with RJ. Mm -hmm. And so, on this fateful night in Catalina, in the Pacific Ocean, the largest of our oceans. (laughs) Holds so many mysteries. There was a lot of jealousy from all parties. Robert was jealous of Natalie, Natalie was jealous of Robert, mm-hmm. and Christopher was like this, like, toy. Mm-hmm. There was a giant fight. Natalie falls asleep. She passes out. She wakes up to find Robert and Christopher doing sex. Ooh. And they say that in her drunken rage, she herself tried to leave the boat and mm-hmm. get on the dinghy. And go back to Avalon. They put her death at midnight. RJ and Christopher did not report her missing until 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. Where in is the truth in that? Yeah. I don't know. The timeline doesn't make any sense. No sense. It's so that alone is so suspect. Like, mm-hmm. regardless of what they did. And in that 48 hours episode. The captain of the boat says that she's been gone. They don't know where she is. It's, you know, 11 o'clock. It's midnight mm-hmm. around that time. And and also people from other boats hear a man and a woman arguing very mm-hmm. loudly. So Natalie's gone. They can't find her. The captain wants to put the floodlight on to see if she's in the water. RJ says not to do that. They He pours them... Uh, he pours for himself and the captain just a cocktail. They're having some some whiskey. Sure. Some cognac. Yeah. And like an hour later, the captain's like, we need to do something about this. And he's like, oh, I guess it's about that. We can do something. And still didn't report it to the Coast Guard for, you know, until the next morning. So it's all really fucking sick. Murder. Murder, most foul. Or just like negligence. Yeah. Doesn't care. It doesn't make any sense. But they were super close Mm -hmm. with Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. And I bet RJ to the captain was like, okay, look, this has to disappear. Mm -hmm. Like this has to like, you can never say anything about this or that. Because if not, we're going to break your knees. That makes sense to me. And also that captain said that after this whole ordeal was over, RJ offered him or he hired him to like live at his house for like, uh-huh. There was something going on. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
something going on. He's no good. There's a new show by Mindy Kaling. Kaling? Yeah. Um, called something. Wait a minute. It's called... You got it. New TV show Mindy Kaling. I like her. I think she's great. Champions, in which um, this dude, this like super bro-y jock dude in New York who mm -hmm. owns a gym, mm -hmm. um, finds out that he has a son mm -hmm. from Mindy Kaling, who he had a one-night stand with like years ago. Yeah. Um, and this son is gay, and he's like this gay 15-year-old, and he lives, and like the brother, mm -hmm. like... The dad's brother, so like this gay kid ends up living with his long lost dad and the dad's brother, and they're yeah. both like these straight jocks. Yeah. Um, oh my god, my two dads. It's totally my two dads. <laughs> it's totally my two dads. <clears throat> um, and the the kid, he's very femme, mm -hmm. and he takes a long time in the bathroom. Yes. And they when he comes out of the bathroom, they were like. Were you in the bathtub this whole time? Mm -hmm. And the kid goes, no, do you want me to end up like Natalie Wood? Oh my god, what I was going to say, a slur that is okay for us to say. Yeah, he's like, do you want me to end up like Natalie Wood? He's like, of course I want to, just not drown. Yes! It oh was my so god. funny. I was so very, very happy. Good. I love it. I have a feeling this is going to be a... A case that is never solved and it's just gonna we're just gonna be following it for the rest of our lives. Dude. But I, someday I hope that something happens that's like actual legit because Oh my gosh. It it's okay. This drives me nuts. One, two things. I'm gonna ask you two things. Sure. One is not a question. One is something I'm just gonna say. The other <laughs> is a question. Uh first uh I, I didn't watch the episode or the the special that Fox aired that supposedly has Someone, someone interviewing OJ where he, he confesses to having killed Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. Didn't watch it. Um, Neither did I. But, and, and I will. Don't worry, queers. I will. I'll let you know all the deets. Um, number two, not, not a question. Or is a question. No, this one is the question. If you could solve one murder, if you could know the outcome of any cold case, any mystery what do you think it would be probably my grandfather's murder oh my god where are what the fuck have we never talked about my grandfather's murder no oh my god okay Is this the time that you want let's to? do it let's talk about we're it let's talk it. about it okay can i also can i do a quick sidebar yes in, within this sidebar mm -hmm. we're talking about drag race and rupaul this episode <laughs> Which is not where we are now, but I hope you're okay with being along for the ride because I'm so buckled in and ready for this. Okay. Okay, thank you. So my grandfather, whose name was Joe, um, he was born and raised in Southern California. Mm -hmm. um, he married my grandmother relatively young. They had three kids. He was, as my grandmother says, a womanizer. Mm -hmm. um, or a gigolo was often the words word yes. that she would use um they had never had an okay marriage the marriage was like even when they were dating before marriage it was always tumultuous yeah. um one of the famous stories that goes around our family is that um he had proposed to her and they were okay but they got in a fight on the silver lake no on echo park lake uh -huh. they got in a fight on one of those paddle boards 
and she got so mad at him that she took her ring off and threw it in the lake. So every time we drive by Echo Park Lake, we know that my grandmother's ring is somewhere in the mud down yeah. there, right? Well, my mother's last memory of him is when she's like 10, and my grandmother finally threw the frying pan at him, literally, and he's outside waiting for the taxi because he was gone, right? Yeah. He remarried a woman named Barbara, who's actually still alive, that my mother is still in contact with, mm -hmm. who looks exactly like my grandmother. He had a type. Um, <laughs> and he had, oh gosh, he did not have children with her, but she had children from another marriage. Mm -hmm. So my mother has these like very vague step-siblings that she's never yeah. really known or talked about, yeah. right? Well, in the 60s, he had a friend who said that if you come up to Sacramento, you can come and work up here in the fields, get some good money over the summer, and go back to Los Angeles, right? My mother and my aunts, they claim that he was trying to get back into their lives. He probably was not. He probably just wanted more money to gamble and drink and to be with the ladies. Yeah, mm -hmm. gigolo. Um, he always cheated on his wives with older white women. Like older, rich white women mm -hmm. who would sort of like parade him around town as their Latin lover. Right? Well, this friend of his who said, come to Sacramento, work the field, you can live at my house for a while. He was married and had a house in Citrus Heights, Sacramento. Mm -hmm. He, my uncle, my uncle, my grandfather went up there, left his wife, Barbara, mm -hmm. left his stepchildren. They were still married. I'll be gone for the summer. I'm going to make money. I'll come back at the end of the summer. Mm -hmm. Come the harvest. Well, we don't know how or why, but his friend that he lived with shot and killed him. <gasps> My aunt has a theory. Yeah. But she's dead. Okay. Here's the theory. Yes. Okay. Which I tend to believe. Other people don't. The friend, we'll call him Bob. Okay. Apparently Bob was abusing his wife. Mm. And my grandfather apparently tried to stop that from happening one night. And in the tumult, was shot and killed in this argument. Mm -hmm. The man was put on trial... And he claims that he came home and found my grandfather and his wife in bed together. My aunt believes that after he shot my grandfather, Bob put both the bodies together in the bed and claimed that's what happened. Did he kill his wife too? Oh, his wife was also killed. Oh my God. He killed his wife also. Oh, yeah. God. The Bob mm -hmm. claimed insanity and was family friends with the judge. Mm -hmm. And got six months prison. Jesus Christ. And that was it. Oh my God. Six months in a mental institution, not a prison. And got off scot-free. Oh my God. That's so wild. They reported on it in the Sacramento Bee. I've never been able to like find. Because everything like before 75 is on microfiche still. Yeah. But someday I'm going to have to like, go to Sacramento and like go to the Sacramento Bee newspaper Let's and like find it. the reporting on what happened to my grandfather. Oh my gosh. Um, because he was friends with the judge and we don't really know what happened. I'm so sorry. 
That's I never even met him. I mean, yeah. my mom was like 11. Yeah, that's still like, what the hell? Oh, it's awful. And he, you know, he denied my aunt in the grocery store once. He was with one of his ladies. Mm-hmm. And like, they, he just happened to run into his daughters. And my aunt, Sue, like walked up to him and said, Daddy. And he's like, you're not my kid. I don't know who you are. Because the lady was like, yeah. didn't want to have anything to do with it. And the last letter he sent to my to my grandmother's home was like addressed to my aunt and my mom wasn't on the envelope mm-hmm. and she's like why didn't he address this to me too mm-hmm. um also my grandmother got a lot of shit from the family because at that time you're not supposed to divorce your husband no matter what mm-hmm. and so she divorced her husband who was bringing in money these white ladies money um and was suddenly single with three kids mm-hmm. with three daughters yeah um, so it caused a huge ruckus in our family, and then he was fucking shot and killed. Jesus Christ. That's so wild. Yeah, so I'd like to really know what happened there. My um, aunt knew him better than anyone, because she was the oldest, and, like, she remembers life with him. Yeah. And so she sort of, like, sainted him mm-hmm. in her mind. Um, so it's always been a very difficult aspect of our family. Mm-hmm. And his birthday was July 4th, and so the, uh... Our Independence Day is always a very strange thing in our family because it's Grandpa Joe's, like, birthday. That's so wild. I always felt an affinity for uh, Charlie Bucket because he had a Grandpa Joe, too. Aww. Um, but, so that's the murder I'd like to find out what really happened. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling that story. You're welcome. I so appreciate it. What's also uncomfortable is that everyone says I look just like him, too. Mm. Have you seen photos of him? Yes, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's Philip. That's Philip. That's yeah. Philip." And do you see it? I guess so. Mm-hmm. I guess so. We both had the same color beard, and we were both tall. Um, I've definitely been a whore in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of like philandering horniness has definitely come through to me, also. There you go. Um, but I would have liked to have known him. And my mom would have too. Yeah. You know, because she really didn't have them at all growing up. Um, is there a murder you want? Oh, God. Well, now I just, I mean, of course, you know, my, um, my, one of my very best friends was murdered when I was 19. Mm. We, we talked about that on our, on one of our death episodes. Um, one of our death episodes. <laughs> Because we have... It's a theme. We have an interest. It's mortality. Yes. But in terms of the... In terms of of things in the culture, Mm -hmm. in terms of serial killers, in terms of national headline mysteries, um, I'll I'll stick with that. I just read Michelle McNamara's book on the Golden State Killer. Is it so good? It's very good. Um, Can I borrow it? Yeah, it's an i yes. Um, okay, it's an i book. I listen to an audio book. Of okay, okay. Um, which is I don't need it. fucking you, reading a book. Yes, uh, <laughs> it is. It is. 100%. Um, I was also reading something on LitHub about whether or not audio books count as reading, and I'm like, well, then fuck you. You're saying blind people don't read. Yeah. Um, and it's very good. Uh, it's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. So a very very brief uh explanation of that. Uh, the, the book is by Michelle McNamara, who's a true crime writer, and she passed away in April of 2016, 
really unexpectedly in the middle of, of writing this book. Uh. And she did so much work on what, on this, this man who she named the mm-hmm. Golden State Killer because before he had had these monikers that were just like not sticking and not good. And this man started out as um, the East Area Rapist in Sacramento. So he had this certain MO where he would, uh, he was terrorizing Sacramento in like the mid to late 70s. And um, then he traveled south to Southern California, to Orange County in the in the early 80s. And he has, like, so many, like, upwards of, like, 50 victims. And um, he, was, he was dubbed the East Area Rapist, and then once they put together that, once he left Sacramento and they thought that this had stopped, um, they, and then the kind of, this resurgence or, like, this piecing together of someone uh, doing these things in, like, Goleta and, like, Santa Barbara in, um, and uh, Orange County area started happening, like, same MO, everything. Um, they, they dubbed him uh, the original Night Stalker, <clears throat> which is very confusing because Richard Ramirez is also the Night Stalker. Hubba hubba. <laughs> and um, so, so... Michelle McNamara, like, found this name for him, and he's never been caught. It's so maddening Mm -hmm. that he's never been caught. He would do this thing, and I'm sorry if it's, like, too graphic, but I'll I'll tell you now. He would do this thing. He started, at first, he was targeting women just by themselves in their homes. Uh, And he would, and the reason they use, like, Night Stalker is because he would, like, seriously stalk his victims and, like, knew their schedules, knew their partner's schedules, knew when people would be home, Mm -hmm. uh, knew how best to get into the house, knew so much. He did so much legwork before he did anything. And he would, and then he was, like, committing these crimes, like, every, you know, every week or, like, a couple times a month. Like, it, this was happening constantly. And so after he was targeting women by themselves, he started targeting couples, mm. like, almost exclusively. He started targeting couples. And what he would do was he would take, um, and, like, heterosexual couples, and he would take um, the this woman into another room, tie up her husband or boyfriend, and put a... Uh, like tea set like a cup of tea on their backs and said like if this moves like if i hear this moves i'm gonna fucking kill her mm-hmm. and like so it's just so crazy and out of out of this world and like so disgusting and horrifying it's so scary yeah and the scariest part is that people like he had to have been around like he's probably they, they, they place him at, like, in his 20s, like, early to mid-20s, maybe early 30s at the times that he was doing all of this. And so he's probably still alive. And they just, he looks so ordinary and so, like, unsuspect mm-hmm. that he's just some dude walking around. And there was, uh, very pretty famously, there was a town hall a huge town hall meeting in sacramento at the height of all of this where this was happening and 
this one guy uh, stands up and is like, I can't believe, like, if someone were, you know, to, to rape and torture my wife, I can't believe that I wouldn't do anything about it. Like, who are these men that aren't doing anything? And then that guy and his wife were targeted after mm-hmm. that. So it's, it's, you know, like, hypothesized that that dude was there mm-hmm. at that town hall meeting. Yeah. And it's just so scary the other thing that they say about him that all of the victims have reported is that he has a very small penis. <laughs> That's the other thing. The book is said to be a classic, like a modern day classic. It's really good. And it's just like, it makes me so sad that Michelle McNamara did so much. She did so much work that like police couldn't do. And like so much piecing together that like no one was doing. Mm-hmm. And she did so much work in-depth research about these little tiny things and it was like an obsession like she obsessed over that's the word everyone keeps using obsession she had an obsession because she somehow was related to the victim she had a connection to one of the victims or to one of the i don't remember that i don't think so um i don't i don't quite remember that um maybe she does talk about, in that book, she talks about how she kind of came to true crime and mm. um, her interest in that. And That's what I'm thinking. It was, uh, she grew up in Chicago, I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, and a, a woman on her, like, in her neighborhood was killed when mm-hmm. she was 14, and she never, like, there was, nobody solved it, and there should have, there shouldn't have been a reason that it was unsolved. And so that really sparked her, her interest in true crime. And, um... Yeah, she kind of, you know, she was just, like, working so hard on this book that it really killed her, and it, and it Ugh. really sucks, because so it was just, like, a really tragic, like, poor combination of, like, drugs in her system, mm-hmm. and, and it, she had a bad reaction to it, and it was really, it fucking sucked, and it's so sad, because uh, she Patton has... Oswalt's spouse. Yes, yeah, she was Patton Oswalt's wife, and it's just like <laughs> the way she like writes about him and stuff in the book too is just so sweet. Yeah, and he um, wrote and reads the afterword, and it's heartbreaking. I have to read it's, this book. I really recommend it, and it's also I I cannot believe this person is not caught. Would you recommend that or a stranger beside me first? Oh man, they're both really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, there's no reason you can't read both. I think, I think this is more interesting because we don't know who it is. Mm. And I think because of this book, we have a much greater chance of knowing who this person is going to be. Like, in our lifetime, yeah. I feel like this will be solved. Ted Bundy's just fucking out of his mind. Yeah. And that's fascinating in and of itself. And the scary part about that is that you know, and like just the circumstances of Anne Rule having a stranger beside her, like thinking that she knew this dude. Yeah. And because he was so one way with her, with people, and she thought she was close to him, close enough to him, and thought she knew him, that even though all of the evidence was stacking up against him, she was still just like, I cannot connect the person that I think I know. And who wait? And the fact that this person's name is Ted. The fact that he looks like this. The fact that he drives a gold, a gold Volkswagen mm-hmm. bug. I can't put together that the person I know committed these crimes. Yeah. And that's fascinating and terrifying. Um, I have to read both. Of these they're books. both great yeah. reads. 
Um, but I'll Be Gone in the Dark is, is pretty cool. In terms of national headline murders, I would really love to see some resolution to the Zodiac Killer. Murders. Oh Jesus Christ! That dude's dead. We have to. He has to be he's dead. dead. Uh, unless it's Ted Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I wouldn't put past him. <laughs> In which case, he's been dead for twenty years. <laughs> he uh, looks it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. I, I mean, like Black Dahlia, I think is close enough to like being solved. Sure. Sure. Um, Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. But they say that that might have been solved, too, that it was some... That was the Zodiac. Aristocrat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I think, I mean, I think we also kind of know, like, John Bonet already, you know? Her brother? That is probably Burke. Mm -hmm. Um, Please don't sue me, John Ramsey. Uh, Or Burke. Um, I think... The one that I think, too, this might be a good transition. We should definitely take a break in a moment. But the unsolved murder that I'm, like, super interested in is um, that of Venus Extravaganza, of the House of Uh, Extravaganza. Yes. um, Yes. Most famous from the documentary Paris is Burning. Oh, yes. Um, So Venus is, like, the really, like, kind of youngest member of the House of Extravaganza, of the ball scene in Harlem, and she's just, like, this young, vivacious, like, performer, and she's just so, she, so much of, like, what is memorable about that documentary comes from her. Like, touch this skin, darling, touch Mm -hmm. all this skin. Uh, You look like an overgrown orangutan. Like, every, she's just, like, so iconic and lovely and beautiful, Um, but... The, the, and in terms of like early trans role models yeah. or like visible trans role models, like she's incredible. And, but she also was, you know, like a sex worker and it's, it's pretty much, you know, accepted that she like had a job and that her John killed her and they found her body under a bed in a hotel, like after uh. four days. And she couldn't have been, like, more than 20. I think she was younger than that. Even. Yeah. And, and it, her murder was never solved because it was, you know, like, New York in the late 80s. And no one, and, st- like, it's not like it's changed so much. Yeah. Like, no one gave a shit about, like, a young trans sex worker being murdered. And I, I mean, I don't think that murder is ever going to be solved, but I fucking wish it was. Yeah, Because she too. deserves it. And it just... I think about that one a lot. Whew. Yeah. And also Heyman Lee of, of Serial. Oh, yes. What the fuck happened? <laughs> um, but Venus might be a good transition into what we're going to talk about. For sure. Let's take a quick break. Let's take a break. <laughs> we'll see you guys in a second. So, so, okay. This is going to see t- seem tangential but this is actually the reason we're here and together today the whole time yeah it's been a big week for for drag race yes it has it's been a big week for rupaul mm-hmm. and i think it's worth talking about and uh you know this is something that you know drag race has really become like a sport to me yeah um so a I'm, way of life i'm excited to talk about it i'm very excited to talk about now, it i don't watch this show that's okay. Yes. But you, because you have opinions. 
but I have plenty of opinions about it. Yes. Uh, so I think it's going to be a little, <laughs> I think, I think I will say this up top. That I think this is a topic that is going to merit more than one week's discussion. Oh, certainly. Uh, and I think, too, that uh, we can't talk about all of drag culture in one day, in no. one hour. We can't do that. So no. I think we can stick to the specifics yes. of what's been what's been hot, what's been going on this week. Uh, and especially because, because the... Uh, so one All Stars three of RuPaul's Drag Race has just wrapped. Mm -hmm. Season ten is starting next week. Yes, it's back to back. It's happening. Uh, so, and I think there's a reason that this has been <clears throat> planned this way. And uh, it's also been a big week for RuPaul. Um, he just got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he also had a horrible interview with The Guardian. Shit the bed. Really shit the bed on that one. And God damn it, I'm so disappointed and upset by yep. it. Yep. Uh, so there's there's been a lot going on. And I think that the, the finale of All Stars 3 kind of points to other things in the franchise and in the production of Drag Race. Um, so I just wanted to talk about, I have a couple questions. I was just wondering, Philip, like, what's your... What's your interest in drag? What's your kind of... I know you have connections to drag race, maybe alums. I know you have an, an interest or opinions about drag race because we had started talking about it already. Um, <laughs> if I say um one more fucking time... I'm going to get the marbles out and I'm going to drop them. And I'm going to lose them. Oh wait, too late. I have dabbled very briefly in drag. Sure. Mainly just as Tina. Yeah. When I was 17 for my talent show senior year at Hoover High School in Glendale, California, mm -hmm. I dressed up as Tina in four-inch heels, the whole thing, and performed Proud Mary and won the talent show. I won a $100 gift certificate to the Glendale Galleria. Hey, there you go. You can go anywhere. And I used it to buy my tux for prom. Wow, smart. To rent it. Rent smart. my tux for prom that year. It was a painful experience in that my parents would not let me really go for it. Hmm. I shaved my armpits and my parents were apoplectic. They really freaked out. Wow. And I could not really go beyond that I had a dress from Forever 21 that I fit in. Mm -hmm. um, I had four inch heels that I bought at a stripper store on Hollywood Boulevard. Amazing. I was very conscious of I didn't want an already styled Tina Turner wig. I wanted a long brown wig that I then styled myself as Tina. Oh, wow. Because I knew from all of my research that... People who tried to make Tina Turner wigs never made them right. You're a salt of the earth kind of queen. I mean, I wanted it right. Yes. And I had never worn heels before. I had to teach myself how to wear heels. And I loved every single second of it. I loved every single second of it. And everyone mm -hmm. else did, too. It was yeah. crazy. Like, I... The... The assembly for the talent show was like at 10 a.m. on a Friday. <laughs> and I had to go to school the rest of the day afterwards. As Tina? Well, what I did was that I actually skipped my math class after snack and just went home and changed yeah. and then came back in my regular clothes. 
Um, mainly because it was a safety issue, I was getting pretty gay bashed pretty hard. Um, but after the show, I had to walk to tell my teacher I wasn't coming to class. So I walked as Tina through school. Yeah. And the entire quad filled with students stopped and like parted ways for me to walk. Mm-hmm. It was insane. Because yeah. I had been such a loner. Like I was the kid who like, I think I've said this before, I ate lunch in like the classroom of my next class alone mm-hmm. reading. Yeah. And suddenly to have the entire school be looking at me was very crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never dressed up in drag again. Oh. Never did it again. My weight has been in such flux that I, my body's, my, you know, my issues with my body have never really allowed me to do that. And my parents were so hardcore against it. I think I told you about that one time they thought I was trying to be SJP. Did I tell you that? I don't remember. So, like, Sarah Jessica Parker did this line for The Gap once. Mm-hmm. And... There was, like, this one particular gold sequin scarf that I wanted really, really badly. Like, really, really badly. Yeah. It was Bradley. Um, (laughs) And so I got it for Christmas, and I was so excited. And I had a... Relatives were in town, and whenever the relatives come to town, they want to go to Hollywood Boulevard. They want to see the stars and the Walk of Fame and all this stuff. And at that time, I don't even think it's there anymore. I think it's the Museum of, like, Broken Hearts. What's that? Museum of Love? Oh, or... I know what you're talking about. That's where um, Fredericks of Hollywood used to be there, I think. Mm. Which is a Museum of Broken Hearts. Which is, I mean, right? Mm. And Fredericks of Hollywood carries large-size women's shoes. And while I was there, I was thinking about doing... Because after I did that at school, addressed to Christina, it was such a thing that, like, people liked it so much that I was always, like, talking about maybe doing it again. Mm-hmm. And, like, fixing fixing up different outfits and stuff. And um, my uncle bought me a pair of pink stilettos from... Bless. Right? Bless him. From Fredericks of Hollywood. Because um, I wear, like, U.S. women's size, like, 11 or 12 mm-hmm. shoes. And I brought the shoes home, and my mom was just so, like... She was a little, like, solemn about it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? She's like, are you trying to become Sarah Jessica Parker? I think of all the women that you would try and, quote, unquote, become, I don't it think you'd go with her. the SJP first. No. No. That horse-faced dog. Just kidding. <laughs> so brutal. And so I remember, I remember this very clearly. I actually said to my mom, I said, and if I was, you'd have to fucking deal with it. Yeah, girl, that's right. And she was like, I know, I know I would, but are you trying to become Sarah Jessica Parker? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not trying to become Sarah Jessica Parker. She's like, okay. And like the relief on her face has always been painful. Mm. Um, but... For me, it's always been a size issue. I have such broad shoulders mm-hmm. that even at my skinniest in that 20, Forever 21 dress, I couldn't really pull it off. Mm-hmm. I couldn't pull it off really in my mind. Sure. Um, even though there are people larger and taller than me who do drag every day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Someday, I think it'd be cool to dabble again. Of course. You can feel fancy however you want. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and because of that sort of, like, self-hatred about my body and the complications with my body, mm-hmm. I've never really been one for drag culture. It's never mm-hmm. been something that's been super on my radar. Sure. Um, especially because the drag I always encountered... Um, this is not now, now that drag is like an industry. Yeah. Um, the drag that I encountered in the 90s and the early 2000s was always um, impersonator drag. Yeah, yeah. And Tina impersonators never get it right. Madonna impersonators in my head never got it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would always think to myself, I'd rather just be watching the actual person. Sure. Um, that said, um, in 2001, the first time I went to Las Vegas, like on my own as an adult without my family, Mm -hmm. because we would go sometimes as a family, we went for Thanksgiving once, whatever. Mm -hmm. And my, one of my best friends, Donovan, who's a huge Tina Turner fan, Mm -hmm. um, he is very close friends with Larry Edwards, who is the Tina Turner and Patti LaBelle impersonator. Um, in currently it's called Divas yeah. at the Lynx Hotel, okay. which used to be the um, Imperial Palace. Uh-huh. At the time, that show run by Frank Marino, who's the world's most famous Joan Rivers impersonator, um, used to be called Lacage, and it was at the Riviera. Ah, Lacage of Gold. And so I remember once that trip, I was 19. Mm-hmm. I was not allowed to be in there, but I snuck in mm-hmm. and... Because we knew Larry, we got in free, but for $20, we could be in the front row. And it was the first time I had not seen Paris is Burning at this point. Yeah. So it was the first time I had ever seen or heard Patti LaBelle's version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Mm-hmm. And Larry Edwards opened the show with that oh, wow. as Patti LaBelle. Oh. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> I was shaking with, like, electric energy. And it was so amazing. Oh, wow. Um, And I found then, like, the subversive nature of the humor, Mm -hmm. the the commitment, all so inspiring. Mm -hmm. So inspiring. Like, Larry Edwards actually gets his clothes made by Bob Mackie. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like Bob Mackie makes Larry Edwards costumes. You're born naked and the rest is Bob Mackie. Right? And so, what just cracked on you? <laughs> it was my elbow. I okay. felt it. <laughs> I heard it over here. I was like, oh, is car okay? Um, and so I've seen that show off and on over the years mm-hmm. and I've seen it change and I've seen pe- different people do it. And You know, if you're ever in Las Vegas, go check out the Lynx Hotel because Larry Edwards is still Patti LaBelle and still Tina Turner. Down. Love it. Um, And I've I've actually watched some episodes of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm -hmm. And I think the humor is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's never been something that's completely grabbed me. Sure. Never has. Sure. Um, Well, my... My... Interest in drag. Sorry, I was distracted by my phone ringing. Who's calling? It's a four. It's not a name. No. It's just a number. Doesn't matter. Thank you for checking. I will say sorry to cut you off. I. It's fine. You were looking at my phone for me. <laughs> I um. I've 
I'm disappointed in RuPaul as well because I've always been a fan of RuPaul's. Oh my gosh. So we should, yeah, let's get, let's do that. Let's get into that. I first became aware of RuPaul with uh, RuPaul's songs for Model. Mm-hmm. Um, what? I'm a girl. <laughs> um, which I love, of course. But most famously when RuPaul went on the MTV Music Awards with Milton Berle. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. So They good. do not get along. Well, he's dead, but they—that was no good. And famously, <laughs> and Milton Berle was famously an asshole. No one liked him. He never got along. He's so difficult to work with. Huge dick. And he was saying Such some super transphobic shit before they went on. Yeah. And RuPaul said, "Huh, that's so funny. You used to wear dresses like me, and now you wear diapers." <laughs> and he is so blindsided by that. Good. And at the same award show. Um, RuPaul famously took a picture holding Francis. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cobain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've talked about how I saw RuPaul live at the uh, at Long Beach Pride in two thousand. Yes. And also, I don't think I've ever told you this. This is so funny. <laughs> but in the like the throes of the early two thousands, mm-hmm. with the internet, and I was like, I was one of those people who had like fifty online friends that I never met. Yeah. I was always talking to people, Tina fans around the world. Did you, you mean know. catfish by RuPaul? No, I did not. But mm-hmm. one day a RuPaul C D appeared in my mail. Mm-hmm. With no letter, nothing. Yeah. And then the next week a RuPaul D V D showed up in the mail. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> and so I threw them away, right? Uh-huh. You and threw them away. I threw them away because I didn't really Sure, sure. No. Yeah. Anything? Yeah. And so, like, a week later, a friend of mine named Joey, who lives in Canada, who I'm still friends with today, he mm-hmm. was dating a guy, and Joey's like, oh, just so you know, my boyfriend loves RuPaul, but we can't order this stuff in Canada. We can only order it in America, so I used your address as this stuff to get shipped to. Say that before. I'm like, why did you tell me this before? <laughs> I threw these things away. Let let like let a dude know. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. It was so funny. Um, well, so, I had to order it again. And that's I guess I never I don't know maybe they ordered it again or found mm-hmm. another friend in America. Like, to, Thanks a lot, Philip. Yeah, to uh, to claim their you know their services. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of really my RuPaul ness. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, well, I mean, I. Th- uh, the Birdcage was really my first exposure to drag. Mm. The film The Birdcage was my first exposure to Oh, for to sure. Drag. I could see that too. And um, it's it's a movie that has been in my consciousness like my whole life. It's a movie that my, it's like a family movie that we watched again and again and again. Uh, and so that's kind of always been there. I uh, did like drag shows like in college. Mm-hmm. We, for, for gay club, we would do uh, drag fundraiser every year and um and because I'm a person who's very keenly aware of gender performance every single day when I get up in the morning that's kind of yeah um (laughs) and not always as a burden but as something that that is very present in my mind and something that I think about constantly being forced to be Um, aware of yeah yeah and so that's a performance and that's putting something on. It is not being a drag performer, but it is performing drag. And so that's my interest in it. And of course I can't encapsulate 
this in one single episode, and I think it bears, you know, talking about. I would love to do an episode, like, on Ferris's burning. And yes. On, like, all of these different things. Um, but I first started watching Drag Race not that long ago, mm. like, maybe a year and a half ago, um, when it was my birthday. My very good friends, Loria and Dirk, were in town. It was the... Because uh, people, like, all through my... <laughs> through college and everything we're like we're watching drag race right and i just i don't know i just never watched it i just didn't care i just never watched it and then um you know around season three or four or five or whichever it was when um i think it was season six when they started uh when they stopped referring to rupaul's message to the girls in the workroom as a uh, she-male um was uh, Carmen Carrera, one of the queens from the show, who's now a very famous model, um, uh, started calling calling Rue out for the transphobic language that he uses on the show, including the T word and uh, and the the she male segment and stuff like that. And so because of that, and because, like, I love and respect other trans people, I was like, yeah, I don't need to watch this show, whatever. And then, uh, yeah, about a year and a half ago, it was my birthday, and I think I was sick, and I think uh, it was the All-Stars 2, Drag Race All-Stars 2 was airing, mm -hmm. and it was a day or so before the finale, and Loria sat me down and we marathoned the whole season up until that point. Yeah. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. I had so much fun with it. And I was like, wow, seriously? Because I remember, you know, a couple of years before that, too, Loria had, like, tried to get me to watch Drag Race. And I watched an episode and I was like, yeah, that was entertaining. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, too, it was the first episode of season four which is uh, the season that Sharon Needles won. Mm. And I just, I was totally into it from them because we watched Snatch Game, mm. which is the celebrity impersonation challenge that they do every season, uh, which is really what separates, like, the, the queens from the queens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I saw... Alaska as Mae West and I lost my mind. Mm -hmm. It was the very best thing. I love Mae West. I love Alaska. I have a huge crush on Alaska. And yeah, it was great. So I, and then I just dove right into this show. I love it. I love all of the politics of it. I love all of the talent that the show gets to showcase. And I also, like anything I love, am and can be critical of it. I really love about the show is how many people who you think are obscure uh, celebrities who don't get work show up as judges. <laughs> you know what's super interesting to me about this show? I think maybe we can transition into RuPaul as cultural icon mm -hmm. because, or as like the producer of this show because there are never other drag queens as judges on drag totally race. it's only rue mm -hmm. i mean unless you count michelle visage <laughs> um it's really only rue mm -hmm. the end i think that's so interesting and part of that is like so it's interest. it's a choice 
it's absolutely as Tatiana would say, oh, yes. choices. And it's it's so interesting to me because one, it's saying that your success, and I think this is kind of at least how RuPaul came up, your success is based on mainstream culture critiquing, seeing, and accepting you. Mm-hmm. And like how successful you can be in that arena. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of that is that Rue's like, this is my show, damn it. There's not going to be another queen here taking my spotlight. Because it's so, like, there should be other judges that are, like, Jackie B, that are, like, Coco Peru, that are, like, Sherry Bond, like, other people, like, other drag queens Mm -hmm. should be judges of this show. Lady Bunny, who, in the show Drag You, Mm -hmm. when Rue did, um... The, the reality show Drag You. I actually um, loved that show. I liked it too. Everyone shits on Drag mm-hmm. You. And I thought I Drag thought You was, was great. I thought it was fun, but Lady Bunny was the, what, the dean or whatever mm-hmm. of students um, on <laughs> Drag You. And that was, that was like the one time that she's there. Except that, you know, Rue's always like joking about Lady Bunny on the show. It's very interesting how though there have been judges like Elvira... Who is in drag. And Mama, Vicky Lawrence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there have been times when there are are people who have personas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There, um, I, oh, what is... Kris Jenner. I don't know if Kris Jenner's been a judge. Uh, Chloe was a judge. Chloe Kardashian was a judge twice in one season. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think... Of oh I can't think of the actor's name. He does a play about living in Barbara Streisand's basement. Oh, what's that dude's name? It's not Jeffrey Self. Oh, I can't think of his name. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. But also like a performer and a persona. Yeah. Uh, but there are judges like that. That's true. And then there are people that I'm like, why are you? Why are you here? Um, Kelly Osbourne. I could. <laughs> Kelly Osbourne is so interesting because mm-hmm. she like. She's kind of in, like, she kind of gets it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's kind of down. God, I could, we could seriously have a whole podcast about Drag Race and, like, not run out of things to talk about. Um, but I think it's so interesting. And I'll say this, too, because this is some Jackie Beat tea. Jackie Beat it being the, like, famous queen, L.A. queen. Um, she pitched a show that was Drag Race. Mm. And called Drag Race, mm-hmm. and it never got picked up. Yeah. And so it's, you know, then Rue, you know, whatever. I'm not going to, whatever beef they have, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's just so interesting. Like, Peaches Christ is never a judge. Like, people that know drag are never judges. It's so, you know, to sort of shift into RuPaul mm-hmm. themselves, like, when I listen to RuPaul's podcast, uh-huh. when I hear him in interviews, he seems a little aloof and, and unaware of social constructs in a strange way to me. Mm. Just, you know, um, Michelle is always having to, like, remind him about stuff and, like, tell him, that's the this and this and this, and we don't say that anymore, and we do this and this and this on the podcast. <laughs> And it's also like these are my children's names, by yeah. the way, Rue, my best friend Rue. And a part of a part of my feelings about RuPaul are sort of this sort of like annoyance with that aspect of him. Mm-hmm. That he sort of is in his own 
mental space yeah. that impress is very um this is described as being very deep and zen yeah when it comes off to me as being um arrogant and sure. an asshole sure aloof unaware aloof. not yeah. checked in yeah and and this is why like it's so complicated and mm -hmm. other people may not see it as this complicated other people may see it as really cut and dry um but i think it's hard for me not to like really love and appreciate rupaul of course and that's because of like because of this persona because of like the fun campiness to it sure that's a factor and there are plenty of people that are shitty and also have that mm -hmm. thing that i won't tolerate and I won't even, I don't tolerate Rue. Like, that's not it. I won't put up with any shit of his. Yeah. Apart from me being a huge fan of Drag Race and continuing to watch it. So it's kind of hard because I love the queens and I support the queens. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, and then there's, like, this magic kind of aura about RuPaul. Like, I, like when I went to DragCon last year and I talked about seeing RuPaul in person and how statuesque and, like, diplomatic she was and, like, how I was so taken, you know? Like, that, I felt that and that was true. And then the, the other part is, is this kind of, like, I've done all of this work and like, and, and like having done all of this work and being like a queer black gender variant person doing this and in the era that he's from and doing this and being successful and like starting out in like gender fuck drag and starting out in like a very punk rock way, being completely broke, like being at the bottom of the barrel, like just doing it because she loved it. And doing it because she knew that's, like, what she would want to do. And because mm -hmm. she was born to be a star. And then fucking doing it. And mm -hmm. fucking making it. Did that. Like, she did that. That's amazing. And then the other half is, like, but Rue, like, you gotta, like, you have to keep with the times, man. Like, that's a part of it. You can't say the word tranny anymore. Just because you used to be able to. When trans people are, like... No, you can't say that. You're not trans. You don't identify that way. That fucking hurts me. I'm sorry you have to let this word go. I'm sorry you have to, like, adjust and change your vocabulary and that that makes you uncomfortable. Like, you have to stick with the times, dude. That's how we keep, yep. that's how we keep this together. That's how you be an advocate instead of saying, like, oh, we can't have this, like, infighting and, like, blah, 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 and, like, language is language and, like, I, you know... I'm a, an equal opportunity, like, offender or whatever that is. Like, no. Oh, cop out. Shut that down. Yeah. Not down with it. And so, like, that's, there's so much that I, like, love about Rue. And I just love it. I also love that kind of diva persona. Mm -hmm. That I'm the only thing that matters persona. Mm -hmm. I love the other, like, gospel-y side of RuPaul that we get to hear on the podcast yeah. of, like, thinking about yourself and like how your Saturn returns and like mm -hmm. all of these things. I love that. And then these like moments, which is, you know, going to bring us back around to this guardian interview that she did like uh, probably two weeks ago now where, and that's, you know, my, my major beef is, is so RuPaul being uh, interviewed for the guardian uh, pu publication, 
Um, and, and the interviewer asking, uh, can you ever see, like, what they, what they dubbed bio-queens, like, in, uh, in, in the article, and, like, you know, bio-queen, generally referring to, like, like, cis women who perform drag. Um, but that kind of transitions into, would you, well, they asked, would you ever, like, allow bio-queens on the show? And this is, let me pull it up, because I want to quote it directly, and I don't want to mince words here. Car is using their iPad right now. Mm-hmm. Putting in the password. Click, it click, up. click. <laughs> um, words, words, words. This is what Rue says. Um, drag loses its sense of danger and its sense of irony once it's not men doing it. Because at its core, it's a social statement and a big F you to male-dominated culture. So for men to do it, it's really punk rock because it's a real rejection of masculinity. Listen, girl. Right. Like, that is so fucking ignorant. And then she, like, this is, and I don't want to repeat this because it's really gross, but, like, then she kind of minces words and says, like, then someone says, like, then the interviewer says, well, what about, like, trans queens that have been and will be on the show? And there's already, like, you know, contention and stuff about, about trans women being drag performers in the real world and the and drag culture and drag communities are so diverse and include so many people of all different kinds of gender and the whole point about drag is that gender doesn't fucking matter and that you're pointing at it and like and performing it and doing an extravagant job and turning it up to 11 and turning it on its head and that's what's subversive about it and it doesn't matter what your gender is to do that yep um, and to, to, so, so someone said, well, what about, what about like trans women? And we have already seen trans women on the show and Rue basically kind of gets into like this gray area of like, oh, well, if they're transitioning, if they're going through like a physical transition or if they're not and, like blah, blah, blah. And like goes to like, well, they're kind of like. They're women if they're doing this, and then they're, like, not women if they're doing this. And it's like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. Like, that's so wrong. And what bothers me the most about all of that is that she should fucking know better yeah. because that's the drag that she comes from. Mm-hmm. Like, there is no way. That motorcycle's really mad, too. Should we stop and tell those passengers? Sure. What bothers me the most about all of this is that that's the drag that RuPaul comes from. Yes. And she should fucking know better. And I can't help, because I've also, um, I also, what I didn't say was that I was listening to um, an audiobook of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Uh, So good. Yeah. And so, like, to know that RuPaul lived in Atlanta did drag with Lady Bunny in Georgia before they moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And at that time was doing like gender fuck drag, was doing that before it was like real high femme gender drag. You, she fucking knew the Lady Chablis. Like there's no way she didn't know who Chablis was. And to like think about that and to think of like Chablis as also legendary Savannah drag queen, the Lady Chablis, R.I.P., um, to think that I'm like, that's a huge, there's no way Shibley wasn't a huge role model for you, right? Like as a trans woman 
who was a drag queen performing in the late 70s and the 80s and up until her death in like 2016 Mm -hmm. like who was a trans woman doing that like you know damn well that trans women have and always will be doing drag Mm -hmm. like fucking sylvia rivera like fucking marcia johnson like those are trans women who did drag and they have always been on the front lines of like politics and they've always been on the front lines of like creativity and performance and doing that and that's just so fucking ignorant of rue and it drives me up the wall Mm -hmm. and it's just you know why suddenly start claiming knowledge over people's bodies yeah to start suddenly being like well no this person and this genitalia and this genitalia can't do this thing that's a subversive act for every human being Mm -hmm. it's so awful disgusting and it's just so disappointing it's so disappointing because she should know better there's no way like she should absolutely know better it even offends me offends me when she says when a man is doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, just even the use of that word man. Yeah. Like, you don't know what a fucking man you is. You don't know what a man is. No one does. Like, it's different for exactly. every single person. Exactly. And that's what bothered me, especially because because Peppermint, she refers to Peppermint in this article, who's a great New York queen who was in the top four of, I guess really the top two of Drag Race for season nine. Wonderful. And she was the first, uh, I guess, openly trans woman competing in the competition who was, who was a trans woman and competing at the same time. Well, I should say that was openly trans while she was competing. That's, mm-hmm. what I, that's what I mean to say, because there have been plenty of other trans performers that either came out on the show or came out after the show. And so Peppermint was like the first openly trans woman competing. And... um. It bothered me so much in the in the workroom when Rue would, you know, announce a challenge, come in, announce a challenge, and say, gentlemen, start your engines, and may the best woman win. And it's like, Peppermint's not a fucking gentleman. Yeah, exactly. Like, she's not. And, um, like, and you know that. Like, and, and they made, like, a storyline out of that, out of her talking about being a trans mm-hmm. woman, out of her coming out to her other competitors as a trans woman. And I'm like, you're already, she's already, like, putting herself out there, and you're making money off of it. Granted, yeah. like, sure, you're paying her, too, but, like, but still, you're already yeah. doing that, so you should know better, because that she's not a fucking gentleman. hmm Yeah. And it just bothers me so much. And then at the same time, we're a couple days out from RuPaul getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Where Jane Fonda presented her star to her. It's amazing. I don't know, like... And this is what this is what really got me was <laughs> that, um, and I ha- and I'm still excited about it, like I'm still. I still have to recognize like the importance of RuPaul's presence, like in the world and like as a performer, and. It's not the end all be all, and she's not infallible, and we can't just listen to her and say like, oh, whatever, you know, RuPaul says is like the gospel truth. And we must be critical of that because if not, it's harmful. And that also makes me so happy that because of like the kind of 
story of being like a queer black person of the era that she's from, having gotten a star on the Hollywood Walk yeah. of Fame is a big deal. A huge deal. And my mom, like, this is, <laughs> like, tearing up thinking about it. Like, like my mom texted me that, like, RuPaul got a star on the mm-hmm. Hollywood Walk of Fame. Like, she wanted me to know, and it made me so happy. That's so awesome. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't think she realizes, like, how much that, that made me happy. That she was, like, so excited to, like, share that with me. And I think that in itself is, like, really emblematic of, like, why Rue does the work that she does. And, like, maybe it's establishment politics. And it is. Like, there's a part of it that is. But I think she's all about, like, bringing people together and, like, building bridges. But you have to, like, you can't throw, like, your sisters, your queer siblings, like, under the bus in Mm -hmm. the process of doing that. Of course. And so that's... That's where it gets muddy and complicated. Speaking of queens being thrown under the bus. Oh. Oh. We should talk about the All-Stars 3 finale. Shangela was robbed. Oh my god. (laughs) Shangela was robbed. Listen. Here's the deal. I fucking love Trixie Mattel. I love Trixie. I love Mm -hmm. Trixie so much. Um... I and you know I'm a huge fan of of Trixie and Katya. I love uh I love I'm so happy they have their own show on a network now. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Um and Trixie is so talented. Is a talented comedian, is a talented musician, is a talented like looks queen and like just performer all around. I love it. She's worked so hard. Yeah. Like, from being just, like, a broke, like, indigenous kid with a fucking outhouse Mm -hmm. and, like, having nothing and having an abusive stepfather who gave her the name Trixie. Like, that's what he would call her when she was being too fucking gay. And for her to take that and take that name and then become a fucking superstar with Mm -hmm. it, that's incredible. That's amazing. I love that journey, and I'm so proud of her. But in terms of the competition, yeah, she she didn't win the competition. Like that wasn't mm-hmm. objectively. That's like not what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not what happened. I love Trixie so much, and maybe that points to, you know, like whether or not this contest really matters. But Shangela has and did work so hard. And she, and I think it points to, like, another problem of, like, how race works, in, which needs to be an episode on its own. We can't talk about oh, yeah. all that here. Like, how race works in the competition. Um, and how much harder, like, not just Queens and RuPaul's Dragways, drag, Wagways. Wagways, Malwage. Wagways is what brings us together today. Um, not just how, like, black queens need to work harder in the show, in real life, how black people need to work, like, twice as hard in everything Mm -hmm. to be recognized even for just, like, a fraction, but... It's, like, super emblematic of that. Like, she worked so hard in this competition and outshone everyone in the competition. Repeatedly. Again and again. And she didn't even make it to the top two because it wasn't, 
they had the eliminated queens vote for who would go to the top two. And that was so unfair. It was really not fair. Of course, like, Kennedy and Trixie are incredible queens and, like, mm-hmm. are one. And so is Bibi Zahara Benet as far, you know, if we're talking about the entire top four. They're all great. Everyone's a winner, baby. But, like, yeah, it's just such a bummer. Shangela's so good. She's gimmicky, but damn it, she's good. We're, we're getting towards the end here. <laughs> Can we end on a Shangela story that I have? Yeah, sure. Oh, we have a couple of other things to talk about. We don't need to talk about that. Are you sure you don't yeah, want to talk fine. about Queer, that anymore? That'll be a queers in space, queering space. Okay, we'll on. open our next episode. Yeah, for that. sure. Sounds good. Um, I recently listened to Jennifer Lewis's autobiography. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, but when Shangela moved to Los Angeles... Shangela lived with Jennifer Lewis. Yeah. Um, they had a YouTube show for a long time. I love that. And it was hilarious. Um, and as show people are want to do, they constantly are quoting the culture to each other. They're sure. constantly quoting stuff and movie quotes and everything. And this is what made me fall in love with Shangela was that Jennifer Lewis famously played Tina Turner's mother and What's Love Got to Do With It. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The character of Tina Turner's mother is a very, um, not cold, but a very pragmatic woman who wants her daughter to become a nurse, Mm -hmm. who is a touch greedy and is a little bit cold and distant. Yeah. And famously in the movie, when Ike and Tina get their first hit from A Fool in Love, Anna Mae Bullock, Tina Turner played by Angela Bassett, shows Jennifer Lewis, her mother, Zelma Bullock, the check that they got. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Lewis says, what are you going to do with all that money, Anna Mae? Mm-hmm. And famously, Angela Bassett, as Tina says, well, Ike wants to move to California, right? Well, of course, Shangela is very versed in the movie What's Love Got mm-hmm. to Do With It. And have I told you this story? No, I'm just excited about it. Okay. So... <laughs> One night, after Shangela performed in WeHo, Mm -hmm. and when you do drag performances, you get tips, Mm -hmm. right? And Jennifer Lewis went downstairs to go say hello to Shangela, and Shangela was counting all of her tip money. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer Lewis said to her, like she said to Tina, what are you going to do with all that money, anime? (laughs) And Jennifer Lewis expected Shangela to start... Yeah. Reciting the lines from the movie back. But instead said, I'm saving up to buy my grandmother a carpet. Oh, Shangy. And Jennifer Lewis said, I could never let that boy out of my home again. Mm -hmm. And I would take care of him forever because the last thing that boy has to do or should have to do is buy his grandmother back home her carpet. And Shangy's out here in West Hollywood performing in drag to strangers collecting cash to do that and i thought oh that's the sweetest thing i've ever heard i know oh my gosh you were robbed she fucking turned it out this Mm -hmm. season and her finale look like stunning did you did you see what she wore to the finale i'll show you it's amazing she has this gown on pocketed gown she has these um almost like zelda fitzgerald curls Mm -hmm. oh she was so beautiful and she you know the only thing she needs is a crown 
I mean. Like, it was really incredible. I don't know which one of these it is. Um, and also, uh, none of these. None of these. And also, she, so, um, Chandler comes from the House of Edwards, um, mm. very famously, and I saw I saw her and Alyssa drive on yes. last year, and I think I told the story of scaring Alyssa with my clown makeup. It's <laughs> yeah. so funny. Yeah, so you know, she was, you know, I, putting maybe putting queens in competition is the real problem. Yeah, maybe seriously, everyone's a real winner. Yes, maybe everyone gets. There's plenty of kingdom for all the queens. A hundred thousand dollars. Yes. All right. We've been talking for so long. We should get so going. Much fun. This was a good. This ended up being really fun. Yeah, I've had so much fun. Thanks for hanging in there, queers. We will talk to you next time and see you in space. Yeah, let us know um, what you think about Drag Race, about RuPaul. Weigh in. We're standing by. Give us a call. Like and subscribe that shit. <laughs> Comment on our Facebook. Add us on MySpace. Find me on LinkedIn. Do it. I don't have a LinkedIn. Friendster. All of them. <laughs> My Zanga profile. Is... <laughs> Check us out on hotornot.com. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you in space. Bye. <laughs>